Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side, your life coach. Today, we will be talking about your employment. Would you consider your job a pleasure or just work? That is the question as I look at James. Right when I asked that question, what was your answer, James? Pleasure. Pleasure? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Are you saying that to suck up to the host? No, I'm saying that because I'm contractually obligated to. Okay, at least you are honest. So that is half of the battle. <laughs> <laughs> you you are contractually obligated to have a, a wonderful time at work. Yeah. Or at least pretend to. Yeah, it was an interesting clause. I didn't expect it, but I had to yeah. sign it. So. And you signed it. Yeah. And by the way, you're doing a fantastic job oh. at pretending. Thank you. Because you almost seem to, at times, enjoy your job. Occasionally, yeah, yeah. Now, is that real or is that just Memorex? Well, is that fake? It, it's hard to say. Sometimes huh. it's one, sometimes it's the other. I mean, I won't say a percentage, though. Okay. Let's just keep that ambiguous. Yeah. yeah, I understand. You're not allowed. For legal reasons. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I understand. I love my job. It's, even when I'm tired, right before I go on, I love it once I get on. Yeah. Do you have a contract as well? I don't. Ha- I have a contract, but mine doesn't say that. Okay. Mine just says uh, you better like your show or it's going to be off the air. Oh, okay. It's kind of obligated, but it also just means pick up your game. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an implicit clause. Yeah. Yeah. Yours is an explicit. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, I, I've, I have passion around what I do. You are just trying to get student money to go to school and be an advertising executive. <laughs> I, I have I already have a doctorate in passion, so I, I you know Doctor with a K. Well Passion yes. with an S and a C. Three S's Passion. And a C. <laughs> you spell it wrong, but it still seems real. Yeah, I think so. Sean loves his job. Do you, do you love your job, Sean? Or do you uh, put up with your job, tolerate your job? Yes. Um all of the above. Okay, okay, okay. It depends on the day. <laughs> does your job feel like work? <clears throat> or does always. it feel no. like your avocation, no. like this is your calling? Yes, it does very much, actually. That's, that's cool. That's, uh, since I was in high school, I've wanted to work in radio. Now look at you. So Huge. Mm-hmm. Dreams come true. My mother wanted me to do something else. Your yeah. mother wanted you to make a living and be a doctor. That's correct. And now look at you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, not a doctor, a teacher. Did she want still, you to be a teacher? Yep. Did you not feel called to be a teacher? I didn't. You felt called to be the radio, on the radio. Yep. Well, see, that's part of the battle, folks. I felt a higher calling coming. Really? Yeah. The higher calling to be a radio. Exactly. uh, Because you you wanted to be a radio, a sportscaster, a sports announcer. I just wanted to be in radio. Did you really? It didn't matter what you did. No. Wow. But I found my way to being a producer, and I like it. Well, you're great at it. I hope so. I don't care what they say back in the shop. You're fantastic, as are you, James. Thank you. Uh, I love my job. See, but the weird thing is, um, this isn't my only job. Really? So I have other jobs. Like I have another company I work and speeches I do, and so I've kind of I feel like I don't know that I could have one job. 
You have multiple callings. I have multiple callings, and I I feel like if I didn't have multiple callings, I would probably be dead because I would get bored very easily. Some people do that. Yeah. Like I need to shift. Some people need multiple outlets. You need to mix it up. I I do in yeah. a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got job, family. Oh yeah. Other Kitchen, activities. Cleaning. You do a lot of no, cooking. No, I don't do cleaning. You just do a I lot just of do the messes. Cooking. You make messes. Yes, I make messes. Ask my wife. Oh, she called. <clears throat> said you do make a lot of messes. <laughs> On the show today, we are going to be discussing uh, how you can redefine your work in your own terms. Here's the question for you. Um, are you making your job work for you instead of you just working for your job? Sometimes you just kind of get on the train and you just follow the train till you retire. Then when you get off the train, they hand you a watch and you feel good about yourself. A gold one, hopefully. See, but those are the old days. It doesn't seem like they're giving watches anymore. Now they just kind of yep. throw you off a train while it's moving. Throw mama from the train, yes. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. So on the show today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Twee Sindel, who is going to teach us how to make sure, I mean, maybe this is going to sound a little scary, how to get rid of the mindset of work. It's not just work. There's got to be something there, some other connection, some higher purpose. But before we get to Dr. Sindel, let's first get to the headlines. Headliners from the Matt Townsend Show, a summary of stories that you might have missed. Dateline, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Cheesehead. Specifically, Nina, Wisconsin. Nina. That's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. Nina the ballerina. No, this is a city. Okay. Not a person. All right. What's going on in Nina? In Nina, Wisconsin, there is a postal carrier who had allegedly dumped a bunch of uh, political advertisements into a recycling bin. Oh, wow. What a saint. What a saint! This oh, what a great postal worker! But this is this is the way to. I this guess is it's the way illegal. they wanted to change their their yeah. job. They're sick of it. They saved the people of Nina, Wisconsin, all of the headache. Yep. Well, there is an ongoing investigation into the matter. So, uh, Nina Postmaster Brian Smoot is not commenting. Brian Smoot wants to stay out of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but a Nina resident emailed uh, a. Um, uh, Guy who was running, yeah, I can't a, remember a what candidate, a, can, a candidate, yeah. thank or you. a guy that's a Couldn't running guy. That word. Yeah, uh, his name is Rorks Rorkost. Okay, I hope I'm pronouncing that, cor- that correctly. But the re- resident observed a postal carrier dumping a bunch of material into a recycling bin at an apartment complex. Mm. Well, the resident checked the bin and found out that it was political mailers from the campaign of uh, Glenn Grothman, a Republican state oh. senator. So and he was only he was well only as, oh everybody. There were three Republican okay. campaigns. Oh, he was doing it oh anti like a certain party. I guess shame on him. But if anyway. you're going to do it, do it for everyone. <laughs> exactly. Just all the political stuff. Just toss well, it in there. So this is one guy trying to make work more fun. Yeah. By skewing the election. But the supervisor of the postal worker who is unnamed at this point, sure. uh, rounded up the mailers and. Um, they made sure that they got delivered to their appointed rounds. Rounded yeah. up the mailers as in he went into the garbage and got them out? Yes. Wow. wow. Well, you know, it, was a re- it, was, it was recycling. It wasn't – Oh, it was recycling. It was okay. a recycling bin. OK. Maybe so not cleaner. as dedicated. It's yeah, cleaner, okay. yes. Well, but – Somebody I, still could mistake it for <laughs> something, but yeah. So he went dumpster diving, saved them, and then 
delivered them to the people, but they probably received all of the same. I mean, usually you want to spread these out. You're the advertising executive, James. Yeah, that's the official word. You want to spread them out. Spread them out uh, <laughs> is the official marketing term. Yep. <laughs> and uh, that's incredible. I'm glad that you, you're I'm learning glad we so have an much. Of, yeah, <laughs> official marketing term. Yeah, bringing especially since he hasn't show. started his advertising yeah. no, education totally, until totally next have. semester. But he was accepted, <laughs> so you know he's got. I don't know the um, the proclivities to be a good. The tendency. Oh God, it's yep. in you. Yeah, that's funny. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Nature versus nurture. I think a lot of it's nature. Uh, as far as my skills in advertising. Now, so. are you speaking as the doctor with a KF passion or as the candidate to go to the advertising department and start your program? All of the above. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited that they found the, the – what do they call it? The marketing flyers. pieces. Yeah. yeah. Flyers. Political. But in a way, I don't know that Political propaganda. I probably. don't know that we'd all be harmed if – if all oh. of the postal carriers in America had just Did the same thing, half of them. We'd have to see. Maybe you can't choose. It's not the first time I've heard of postal carriers doing something like oh, yeah. that, though. No, for sure. I mean, and not or, just in this country, either. That's right. I used to do it as a kid. There you go. I'd take people's mail, <laughs> rearrange it, and put it in different mailboxes. I didn't know it was a federal Ooh, offense. That was fun. Yeah. We also put pine cones in their mailboxes. Oh, were they lit on fire? That's what I was going to Oh, no. Ask. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. We're not that crazy. Oh, good. We didn't want to be arrested. We have people go around our neighborhood and smash them up. Oh, sad. Yeah, that's nice. See, that's what we're trying to teach on the show today, how to make your work more fun, legally and illegally. When we come <laughs> back, we're only going to talk about the legal ways to make your job more fun. Dr. Uh, Twee Sindel will be joining us. She's going to teach us more about finding the passion in our lives, turning work maybe to a joy, if that's even possible. I guarantee it is. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. More ideas, more tools to give you a leg up in this crazy life we're living right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's just another Manic Monday. You know, this song, man, great memories. The Bengals. Remember? I remember the Bengals well, yes. This, I remember listening to this song, going to my summer job. Driving what? Uh, driving a Volkswagen Bug. You too? Uh-huh. Yep. But did the heater guy. work in it? Yes, nah. like crazy. Really? Oh, bug Volkswagen it heaters. Too well? <laughs> yeah, it, it was horrible in the summer. Yes. Super hot. Yes, but in the winter, oh, nothing warmer than a Volkswagen heater. Easiest car to work on, though. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, because it also comes, and also you can see the drive shaft through the floorboards. If yeah, if you have a good one, you can. So if you need access to the drive shaft, you just look through the. For me, rest it was always the the fuel cable because you had yeah. You, the yeah. engine was in the back of uh-huh. the car, so you had a cable that went all the way from the foot pedal to the back of the car oh, yeah. to control the fuel intake. Don't you remember? Those were the days. Oh, my life oh, was yes. so simple. That I moment. remember it breaking and having to have a friend reach down and use vice grips to pull the cable. Oh, yeah. In order but you, to drive the that's car. what you always had in your Volkswagen Bug were vice grips. We had to adapt. You never knew when you'd need your vice that's grips. That's right. And you could break into it very easily. Yeah. Through those little swinging windows on the side. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, those were the days. The Back good old when, days. Yeah, the good, good old days. Back, I guess, before James, you were even born. Well, you weren't even a twinkle yes. in your mother and father's eye. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Pretty yep. much. Anyway, <sighs> you go back to school, James. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Manic Mondays, it's, you know, it could become a theme. Does your work just get you down? Does it depress you? Um, is it exhausting you? Or is there a way to take your work life and turn it into maybe less work? Not less work, but so it doesn't feel like work. I think our expert's going to be able to teach us about this today. Her name is Dr. Twee Sindel. She is a founder and president of Skyline Group International's coaching division, which you can find, by the way, at skylineg.com. And uh, what she's been doing, she specializes in leadership coaching for executives and managers whose competencies are in highly technical fields such as engineering, life sciences, finances, legal and what she's done is helps them balance their passion um, and their excitement and all of their strengths and, and kind of tries to get two things going, both the behavior side of what you need to succeed in the world and also the mindset to make sure you're, you're thinking the right things that lead to the success. She has uh, clients in, and coached in a wide variety of organizations, including Apple, Blue Shield of California, uh, other organizations, Facebook, Gap, Google, Hewlett Packard, Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, you name it, she's been there. And she just uh, is coming out with a book in May of 2015 called Hidden Strengths, Unleashing the Crucial Leadership Skills You Already Have, as well as some other books she's already put out, The End of Work as You Know It, from 10 Speed Press, was put out in 2010. Job Spa and Sink or Swim. We're so excited to have her. Dr. Twee Sindel, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to have you, and we need your help because, you know, it's uh, a lot of people. I, I just read a, a study about um, uh, what is it called? About engagement and uh, engagement of our employees. Like only seventy percent of our employees out there are engaged, and I'm sure you've heard of the, that area of study. And what do you think about that? What's going on with us? Well, engagement um, is, is one of those terms where we have to define a little bit more. So yeah. um, according to Gallup and this particular study that you're referencing, um, you know, 70% of the population is either disengaged, meaning they're um, not really giving it their all, or they're actively disengaged, which means that they are actively looking for a job. They're looking somewhere really else. Producing. Yeah, exactly. So when you think about it, that's a pretty staggering number. <laughs> that's a lot of your people. Seventy percent of the population there is they're just not giving it their all, and um, so there is uh, definitely a number of factors that fa- fall into that um, that contribute to that. One, of course, is is the organization a good fit? Right. Um, is the role a good fit? Do you like your manager? I mean, and then there's it, also those are simple, you, aren't they? I mean, is it the right fit? Is it the right type of job? Do you like who you're working with or for? I mean, those mm-hmm. seem fairly basic signs. Mm-hmm. What else? What else yeah. do we need to know? Well, the, and then the other part of the equation is you, and what are you doing to contribute to this situation? And um, so that's what the end of work is really about: is taking control and not being a victim by determining how can I be more engaged Hmm. with work? What are the things that I need to get out of my experience at being at work such that it makes sense for me to continue to be here and give it my all? And one of the challenges we really uh, encourage 
employees to have, uh, whether they're individual contributors or leaders, is to look at how am I giving 100% to my job and how am I taking 100% from my job. Oh, interesting. So meaning yeah. if, the, if the equation is not balanced, then we, we've got a problem. So, for instance, if you are one of those high performers who's giving 100 110%, and you don't take much in return, that really means that you're, you're going to be burnt out. You're giving it or you're all, you don't expect much, and then one day you wake up, find yourself divorced right. with kids who hate you, and you wonder what happened. <laughs> yeah, and a bad leg. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's true, though, it's huh? But, but you've given so everything. You that's true. Right. But that's an yeah, interesting so, phenomenon. So you did contribute to it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You've, so you've got to be giving your everything, but also you have to know how to get your 100% out of what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and um, we also see the other end of the spectrum where, you know, we have employees who are entitled and they'll give just enough to get by, mm-hmm. maybe 50, maybe 70% of what they're fully capable of. And then they expect a lot in return. Um, I've got just uh, amazing stories of uh, people going up to their managers and saying, you know, um, I was wondering if you could help me. Uh, specifically, there's a building that I live in, and there's a light outside of my bedroom that's on all night, and it, it I don't sleep very well as a result. So can you talk to my building manager about that? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> really? <laughs> so that actually is a true story. Oh, my um, heavens. Did, did you call James? Because James did that very thing, our board op <laughs> here. That is like crazy. Right. So that's really expecting more right, <laughs> yeah. than... than than, than what you should be, and, and uh, a great example of that. And, and, of course, you know, this particular person who asked the question was barely giving it their all. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so what's our reaction to someone like that? Oh, they're so entitled. Yep. Oh, yeah. So that's not, that's not full engagement either. No. It, it's interesting. It really is. You've got to have some skills and some, 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 I guess, knowledge of what's expected. In your book, you give an example of a hypothetical person who's won the lottery mm. and, and his or her drive to work. Can you share that with us? Talk to us about that. That seems like an interesting scenario. Yeah. So studies uh, dating back to the 60s have shown that if people were to win the lottery and, and you ask the population how many of them would continue to work, you have 70% who are saying, I would continue to work. Hmm. So if you think about it, if 70% of the population is disengaged at any time, and 70% of the population is also saying, gee, I really do want to work, what we're seeing is it's the same population who wants to work. Right. So why are they not working? Why are they not being as productive as they can be? So there's something going on um, with respect to themselves and, and what's going on in the environment that is contributing to the sense of disengagement. And the reason we want to work is because it's a sense of identity, contribution in the world, and achievement, and Mm. and impact. And that's something we all want. So when you ask people who, I work with a lot of leaders, for instance, at Facebook, they're millionaires, and they're young, and they don't need to work. They could go party forever, you know, and not have to worry a day in their life again. But they choose to work. They've They've, in essence, won the lottery, and they choose to work because there is a sense of identity and contribution that we all want to make. So inherently, we are driven to contribute to society. So really, I guess then the key 
we have to somehow tap into identity, contribution, achievement, and impact, I guess, in order to find the hope. Is that where the hope is? Yeah, that's where the hope is, exactly. And, and, I, and I, I guess it, it's really not our job necessarily that brings us that. I guess is that that's uh, this is our responsibility. Is that right, Twee? That's correct. Our job, it could be any job, right? right? I mean, at the end of the day, our job is a vehicle for us to be able to make our mark in the world. And if we're not doing that, then we're not living up to our full potential. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting because really you could go, they could go be a volunteer, they could go work for United Way and still bring and have similar benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, so, so which is why, you know, you can retire eventually and go do your other things, but you really have to know who you are, know where your identity, your contribution, your achievement, your impact are coming from. What um, what should work look like? We have about about 30 seconds, 40 seconds before the break. What what should, when we're thinking about our job, um, what what other than those things need to be there? That's a really good question. Um So examples of how we can give and take is, for instance, um, we don't think very consciously about this, but building a strong social network, right? Mm. Or, or, I'm sorry, professional network. Right. Um, That's something that that we could really build as part of being in in the workforce. Um, So those connections are important. We know that. Another example is being able to learn on the job a new set of skills that makes us much more marketable in the workplace. So people who stick to doing the same thing over and over again are really not growing their skill set. So that's an opportunity to be able to take um, from the experience and grow yourself Mm. into somebody who's much more marketable. I mean, just those two. If I had a stronger network because of my job and better skills, no matter what, I can take those with me and, and improve my next opportunity. Exactly. Powerful stuff. We're going to take a break, Twee. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Twee Sindel from Skyline Group. And uh, what's, what Twee has been doing is she's president of Skyline Group International's coaching division and author of the book, The End of Work as You Know It. We're going to uh, come back, talk more to Twee, and, you know, maybe it's time to get rid of work. Get rid of work. Banish it, at least as we know it. And let's turn it into something else. We'll be back. More from Twee on how to make your uh, your work something worth doing. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is the song every time I walk in the studio that James Birdsall is playing, uh, you know, as he's trying to pump himself up. A lot of times he calls it his pump-up music. We just call it the chain gang. Do you ever just feel like you're putting in your day, you know, when's this thing going to end? Let's change that. What if we could reframe the whole mental concept of work as we know it. Well, we've got the author of the book. and The End of Work as You Know It 
was written by Twee Sindel, uh, who is the, uh, the founder and president of Skyline Group International's coaching division. She works with clients across the country, every major organization, and um, she helps them basically balance their passion with their goals and figure out how they can uh, how they can really reconnect to their job at a different level. So if you're driving home right now from work, just thinking, another Monday, and you feel like you just got off the chain gang, no matter what your job, maybe we could reframe it and find a different way to, to hopefully reconnect you to something that's not just work, but maybe an end of work and, and find some more passion. Twee, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Great to have you here. Now, just do people inherently have a desire to work? Because I look at like my teens sometimes, and I seriously doubt they do. <laughs> so is it something inside of us that we just have to capture the right like motivation for? Or is it, you know, is it just something that we really don't want to do? Well, you've said something really important, which is motivation. So we all work for different reasons. And, um, you know, your teens working, is, it's, it's a different concept for them. Oh, yeah. And uh, totally. But if you motivated them with, you know, money or what have you, maybe it would be more yeah. interesting. No, but that's or it, huh? That would challenge them. Yeah, like I have a son that'll get up any time during day or night to go do a video shoot with a, some friends that he does, or that, or to play music and to go to a recording studio. He'll spend hours doing it. But you know, then there's like the garbage that he doesn't want to take out. So really, I guess that's it. Is we have to figure out another way to connect them uh, to to the motivation. Correct. Things that we care about. You Absolutely. call those... Because, oh, go ahead. Well, because at some point it does move beyond money. And yeah. Of course, um, from the standpoint of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we need to be able to have food, shelter, and money gets yeah. us there. No, totally. And that's why we have to have a job. But after that, once that basic need is met... The job can just stay that a job, or it can it can become something more, and that's where the opportunity lies. So beyond it being just a nine to five or something we get out of bed doing, it's asking ourselves, why am I doing this, and what what is this? Where is this going to get me? Where is it that I want to go? And when you have a larger trajectory and direction around the impact you want to have in the world a sense of connection, um, a sense of identity, then it be, it's no longer about the paycheck. It's about what you are trying to accomplish. Right. I, I love that you frame it that way and that you put it, the onus is on us. It's not necessarily my company's job to keep me necessarily, I mean, engaged. They should try. <laughs> but it's my life, right? And it's my it's my job. And I guess I could just get mad about it and keep leaving but right. maybe sometimes I could also stay and just and use some of your strategies. I know in your book you, you have eight end-of-work strategies. And so I guess this is to blow up the concept of work as we know it. Mm-hmm. What are we trying to use these strategies to turn it into? What's the word you would use? If it's well, not work, it, it's, it's... It's about... Uh, well, we're trying to turn it into something that we're trying to accomplish. I and mean, work should not be work. It should be, what am I trying to accomplish? Mm. And um, one of the three things we talk about 
in the book is is uh, myths. And at the end of the day, these eight strategies are based on this notion of trying to debunk these three myths. Okay. The first myth is that my, and you nailed it, Matt. What? The first myth is my boss is my mommy or daddy, and they're supposed <laughs> to take care of me. And get your light fixed outside your window. Exactly. Like, that's so, ridiculous. So, okay. So we got to blow is. up the myth that boss equals mommy or daddy. They're not, they're not here to take care of you. The, yeah. the organization is not here to take care of you. You're here to contribute. Um, so that's the first myth. The second myth is that my hard work will get recognized. Yeah, right. No, it won't. <laughs> I mean, we're all so self-absorbed that, of course, we're not going to notice that you did this little thing or this big thing. Yeah, or how much so, email you're doing or not. So we don't. we can't assume it's going to get recognized, but then that kind of turns into those people that are always – you know, slapping themselves on the back. Right, and that's too yeah, much. Yeah, right? you got to watch out um, for that. you got to watch out for that. And then the third myth that we all carry around with us is that our hard work um, and loyalty is going to result in job security. Hmm. And, you know, that hasn't been the case in the last 30 years. I no. don't know why we keep holding on to that. So, um, so yeah, we, we hold on to these myths and... Um, and uh, even in the face of data that proves the contrary, that, so it's amazing. It is the human condition, and we and, we and we expect it to be different. And so, in a way, we're always shocked that we weren't the one promoted or that the boss. Right. So we remain in our shock state instead yeah. of changing, growing up. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Well, give us um, as as we're as we're talking about it. What are some of these strategies that we should mm-hmm. be doing to blow up these myths? Great, great question. Um, so the strategies, there, there's a total of eight that we outline in the book. And, and the book, again, is The End of the Work end of As You work. Know It. And if they go exactly. look up Twee, T-H-U-I, Sindel, S-I-N-D-E-L-L, and, that, and The End is of Work As You Know It, they'll find the book, right? Correct. So the eight strategies vary for people. Um, and it really depends on where you are in your career. If you're earlier in your career, you might really be driven to uh, create change in the world and, and to have the world be a better place. Right. And that comes with, you know, some, some great ideals you have and the things that you see screwed up in the world mm-hmm. and the experiences you've had seeing your parents go to work. Um, so, so that strategy is very different in changing the world um, and shifting the status quo to somebody who might be mid-career who is very much interested in getting that recognition and uh, furthering their career and climbing the corporate ladder, then that's totally fine as well. So that strategy looks different uh, among the eight. And then maybe if you're later on in your career and uh, things are, are starting to wind down for you, that you may be focused more on your legacy. Right. And, and what's what's the story you want to leave behind that people are going to tell about you because of how you've impacted them, uh, your company, the world. So that's a different way of looking at work than somebody who is earlier career or mid-career. Mm. So really, part of it is you, you need to kind of go through each of these strategies and really figure out what's your goal. I mean, are you here to change the world with all the energy you can muster, or are you here to kind of keep your status quo? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, or kind of wrap it up and, and move your legacy 
and finalize your legacy. It's powerful. Exactly. And thank you. And um, you may find that there is more than one right. of the eight strategies that resonates for you in terms of where you are in life. And that's fantastic. And, and one of the strategies we also talk about is there are people who um, have come to a place in their life where they want to have more work-life balance. So yeah. if you're earlier in your career and you're, you're gunning in and you're working really hard and um, you decide that, you know what, I, um, I have kids now, and whether I'm a man or a woman, doesn't matter, that I really want to make sure that these children become a priority for me in addition to work, then what I need to accomplish at work is going to look different yeah. than um, you know a person who has no children and is very much interested in just driving, 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 and that's fine. Oh yeah, and it seems like that's one of the keys to motivation. If I if I'm mid career or whatever, and I'm now wanting more life balance to be with my family more. That would motivate me differently. I've always found uh, – there's a great quote um, I heard somewhere out in consulting land when I was out there um, <laughs> that uh, um, superior performance fosters independence of action. Mm. And so I, I've always thought, OK, yeah. So some of your freedom comes by being a top performer. I mean go to any business. A top performer can a lot of times do whatever they want and however okay. they want, whenever they want. So if that freedom buys me time with my family, then there's motivation, right? Absolutely. And what you're also referring to is this notion of um, demand autonomy and mm. as, as one yeah, of the eight strategies. that's one of your strategies. And exactly. And that autonomy comes from hard work and proving yourself. Yeah. So you're not going to get to a place of autonomy if you haven't proven that you are darn good. Right. And I see so many leaders... Um, micromanage the heck out of their employees who are poor performers. And the employees are wondering, well, I don't really like this. Why am I being micromanaged? And, <laughs> but he's not micro or she is not micromanaging other people. Right. Well, that's because they it's, are good at what they that's do. Right. Yeah. Unlike you, they are right. good at what they do. It really is. It's almost like they lack overall. This is probably one of the biggest things that I, I read it in some of your stuff. You have to get people to be aware, right, of of who they really are presenting themselves as in, in the business, in the organization. They have yes. to know who they are and how others see them. Otherwise, they have major blind spots. Yes. And, and unless you suffer from, you know, a clinically uh, diagnosed uh, out of narcissism, yeah. uh, you you can hear the feedback. Right. Whether it's, or not you choose to accept it is something else. It's all right there. It's all right there. <laughs> um, another one that I saw, uh, where was it? Um, uh, and you tell me what, which strategy it is, uh, is this idea. Uh, I've had people say, um, I, I've actually gone back to companies I've worked with, and now they'll pay me a whole lot more than they ever would. They'll do things with me like write books and engage me at a different level that they never would have engaged me at when I was there. And they would say stuff like, you know, you never would have been able to do this inside here. You had to leave, get strong enough, get good, get as, get independent like you are. And now you're so much more interesting to us. Mm. What would that, what, what strategy is that? I guess some of that's wow. demand autonomy probably. Yeah. Um, so that's also about the recognition, right? Yeah. And and demonstrating expertise, and those are are two different, very different strategies. Sharing uh, expertise is really about 
really cultivating um, a skill set and honing it. And sometimes that might have to happen outside of the organization um, because maybe you're, you're stuck in a particular industry that doesn't allow for growth. And so maybe you're going to have to go get that experience somewhere else in right. a different company before coming back because we're not going to take the time to train you. Um, so that might be, you know, one scenario that you find yourself in. Another might be around the recognition piece. Um, sometimes you may be reporting to a manager who hogs all of the attention. Oh, yeah. And you'll, you'll never get visibility with the senior leaders because this person is so insecure that um, they, they keep you away yeah. and at bay. And so maybe it does mean that you need to go to another company, get that recognition, um, and come back into the door at a higher level in the organization, bypassing that particular person. I love I, I love the idea is again it's again it's up to me it's figuring out where I need to work and then uh, making the changes and the adjustments I need to make we're going to take a break come back uh, again more with Dr. Twee Sindel and uh, her book The End of Work as You Know It lots of good stuff if you have a call questions uh, anything you'd want to ask Twee give us a call one eight five five chat BYU if you feel like you're stuck you're not making progress. This is your chance, my friends. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. You got a real coach on the line and an expert who's built an entire business around how to get progress and have you rethink work as we know it. More when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You're working for the weekend. Ah, just get out, relax, kick back now that you've put in that horrible week of work. Today, we're going to try to blow up the end of work. We're going to blow it up, and uh, as you know it, the book is called The End of Work As You Know It. It was written by today's guest, uh, Twee Sindel, and she is a coach, uh, an executive um, a leadership specialist coaching executives and managers um, in a variety of fields, but worked with, with executives from Apple and Microsoft, Yahoo, Facebook, Hewlett Packard, trying to help them reconnect into, I guess, their purpose really or, and their motivation and, and make find ways that works no longer work. It's now just it's it's a fulfillment of who you are and a fulfillment of your identity of your um, your sense of who you are, your value to give back, your contribution, achievement. Uh, so, Twee Sindel, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's so great, and I love what you're teaching us. We were talking before the break about eight different strategies um, of, that we could use, depending on where we are in our professional life and career. Um, let's just go through maybe a few of those. One of them, the first one you mentioned, is the importance of sharing your expertise what what do you mean when you talk about sharing expertise? How does the average guy or gal on the average job share expertise? It's a really good question. A lot of us do hold back in terms of really claiming our, our space and our domain expertise. So, um, you know, it, it's of course related to personality, upbringing, and all that good stuff. None of which are really uh, valid excuses at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. You're being hired to do a job, do it and do it well. You have no reason not 
to hit it out of the park every single time. Yeah. So sharing expertise is really about making sure that people see what you're fully capable of and represent your skill set in a way that um, brings pride, you know, to, to who you are, your family, your friends. Um, and we talked earlier, Matt, about people not giving it at their all. Right. And this is such a great example of when you don't give it your all, no one, um, no one will see the potential in you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how we self-sabotage sometimes. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's not a good thing. So go out there and prove to the world that you're amazing. Yeah. Well, and then all of a sudden and, uh, you do get you get attention because yeah. you were just amazing, and then yes. I mean, every anyone can you know anyone can hit it once, but all of a sudden you come in tomorrow and you do it again, then, then you get the attention. Then, then you do that long enough, and I guess that's what eventually creates this um, demand autonomy. All of a sudden you're in demand. Exactly, you've proven yourself. Mm. Yep. Hey, we've yep. got a caller on the line, uh, Roy from Colorado. Uh, I think he has a question about age. Roy, are you there? Uh, yeah, I am for a few seconds anyway. You bet. What's your, are you driving? What's your question, uh, Roy? Um, no, I, I've been in my career field. Oh, we're losing you, Roy. You, oh, you knew it. He knew He knew we'd lose him. Um, Roy, hang on the line. I, I think one of his questions, maybe Sean has it because he was talking to him. Actually, he was wondering at what age do you kind of – not worry about change anymore or is there an age that you should just you know sit back and you just well, that's it you it don't seems like you don't try and change anymore it seems like death is the ultimate change so i'd probably worry about it till you die am i wrong well, am i wrong twee well you know when when we think about the people who are most interesting in yeah. the world who are most engaged in the world regardless of age it's people who are curious and mm. who are always wanting to change and grow. And so when I look at, you know, whether personally or professionally, the people around me um, who are older and just incredible and sharp and really with it, I mean, they're not retired. There's no, no such thing as retirement. You find other ways to engage with the world. And sure, maybe it's not for a paycheck, but you are still engaged and uh, very much curious and contributing. I love that. And that's a great question, Roy, because, I mean, a lot of us kind of old school, you would you would just get a job. And I remember my grandfather-in-law looking at me. I was I was about to give up a job after seven or eight years that everybody in the world wanted, I thought. And um, he was looking at me like, you're crazy. Dude, you just you grab a job and you just hang on to it. And you just and I was thinking, no, I got to be me. But uh, mm-hmm. part of this, though, I guess, Twee, is your these these strategies you're talking about like sharing your expertise expertise and initiating change they really are just more of excelling and leaving your talents and your gifts fully utilized yes that is to express the full potential of who you are and to reach that potential mm. yeah and we it's funny because we think i'll reach my potential at home I don't need to reach it at work. But mm-hmm. Gandhi used to always teach that you can't compartmentalize. Life is one indivisible whole. So who you are at home is who you are at work. And, you know, if, if, you're, not, if you're not curious at home, you won't be curious at work. I, I, I find so many people come and they all want to do what I do. They'll say, I mean, they don't, but they do. <laughs> they want my job or they want it. And I'm like, great, here's what you do. And every time I tell them what I did, they look at me like, yeah, I, I don't want that. 
too hard. It, I don't I'd want that. I'd have to work. I'd, I'd have to want it, right? Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing, is, is then people realize, I guess I don't really want it that much. Right. So we talked at the very beginning around... You know the sense of achievement. It's, it, what what is it that you want to achieve? Because it, not everyone wants to achieve the same thing. Right. So it's getting clear on that, and 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 that will be your sense of motivation. That's right. But you've got to have that deeper yes, right? You've got to know exactly. what the yeses are. That's what like I don't go home, and I just read what I love to read, and what I love to read is always good for the show. And so yeah. it's not hard. It's not like work for me. This is just an extension of what I love. You just nailed it right there. It's all about extension, isn't it? I mean, really, and that's, I guess, how you create a more, a stronger sense of happiness. But, and it's a, it's, I know what my yeses are. I know where my limits are. I know. And yet I figure it out again, every show. Yeah. You've done the work to do it, to, to get there. Well, really you've, your book, I mean, this is a must read. I mean, I get a lot of books, but this everybody out there is is spinning. It seems like not mm-hmm. and expecting the world. And I don't know if it's a millennials thing because millennials always seem to get beat up. But I don't think it just it, life's not going to be handed to you, right? And by the way, it's not just a, a millennial thing. I mean, we see uh, this level of apathy across the board. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I actually work with quite a few millennials who are incredibly motivated beyond money. Oh yeah, and um, and so it's 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 easy to generalize yeah. about generations like that, but it's actually a human condition rather than a generation generation condition. And I mean, it seems like even if you still wanted to retire, you would still need expertise and demand autonomy and creativity and know how to spark creativity and know what meaning your meaning is in life. I mean, these are things that don't end in your church work. They don't end in community service. This is you giving you. Mm-hmm. you it's huge. It. Hey, we got about 30 seconds. So we wrap it up in a nice bow for us. What would you say is the one thing where we should all begin to kind of end work as we know it? It starts with ourselves and not adopting a victim mentality of this is happening to me. It's turning it around and saying, what do I want and what am I going to do to make it happen? Yeah, lose the victim, huh? Exactly. Well, I I can't recommend the book more. Uh, The End of Work, as you know it, and again, she's. I'd go check out her website because I really think – in the end, you may need a coach. SkylineG.com. Is that the best place to go, Twee? Yes, it is. Okay. Thank you. SkylineG.com. And uh, she'll have another book coming out in 2015 called Hidden Strengths, Unleashing the Crucial Leadership Skills You Already Have. Strengths is a big movement in the HR human development arena. So, Twee, thank you so much. And uh, keep uh, changing lives. Everybody out there in listener land, stick with us. Let's keep trying to figure out how to redefine work on our own terms. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more ideas, more tools to help you have a leg up in this crazy thing called life. It's my Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. It's my life, says Bon Jovi. 
And today we are talking about uh, work, getting rid of work as you know it. I mean, work doesn't have to be the place of torture, just even though my kids think it is. Putting their stuff away is not torture. Oh. Were you just... Mm. Wow. I just, I just heard angels I heard something speaking. that didn't quite because sound I hear... like an angel. <laughs> okay. That is pretty. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Work today, folks. And uh, we just had um, a wonderful, wonderful guest on the show with us. Uh, Twee um, Sindel has been teaching us about, you know, you got to find motivation. You got to find what compels you, what moves you. And Sean has been doing some research about maybe what the problem is, is we're running out of energy. Yeah, exactly. Because of stress. We're stressed out of our heads. Mm -hmm. Makes us lose hair. Well, what I found was an article on Huffington Post. uh, It was written by James Clear. Yeah. Uh, He's an entrepreneur and a weightlifter. And he's talking about the theory of cumulative stress. How to recover when stress builds up. It's going to build up. You have to get it out. Mm -hmm. And he talks about an example of a professor of his that he had, um, and about a decade before he had the professor, the professor was working at uh, Sears and Roebuck, Hmm. and they had this big old national campaign for a major brand launch that was coming out. Big deal. And his his professor was the person that was leading the whole thing. Oh, boy. So dance. Exactly. Dance like a monkey. Kind of. (laughs) But he was... um, Two months prior to the launch day, he starts going out on this kind of a media tour, Mm -hmm. strike up the buzz of everything that's going on. He's out, you know, glad handing, you know, shaking a million hands, going into dirty studios, major partners, spreading viruses. Exactly. Going across the country, flight after flight. But at the same time, he's still trying to run his department from the road. Back on, yeah. That'll so he's you. during the day he's yeah. he's he's two, out. That's candle at two ends. Exactly. Dead. At, in the evening he's running his his division that he's trying to get, and then at night he's you know three or four hours of sleep. Get up the next day, do it all over again. Well, the week before the big launch, yeah, the the biggest launch of his life. He had just given much. months for this. Well, his body gave out. <laughs> yeah, done. He was hospitalized. Really, he had major. Uh, organs that started to fail from chronic stress. Are you kidding? No. This and is the spent, weightlifter guy? No, no. This is his oh, professor. His professor. His okay. professor. Yeah. And he spent the next eight days lying in a hospital bed oh, recovering. wow. And so he missed the launch yeah. of this, you know, new brand that was coming to Sears and Roebuck. That's sad. But this, this guy, you know, like you said, he's burning the candle oh, yeah. at both ends. I do this. Every time I have a big event, I, I'm always sick at the mm-hmm. event. And then I just pump all of this chemistry in my body, and it it lasts a good two and a half hours. And two hours and 31 minutes in, I collapse. There you go. (laughs) Well, the idea, though, that uh, that James Clear, the author of this article, is talking about is that we have a bucket of health and energy. You got a bucket. Okay. So we got a bucket. Yeah. And we can put things into that bucket. You could put in uh, some pizza. Or we have things that no, no, no. That would kill the bucket. Yeah. Well, that would taint not, the bucket. It's not going to fill it up. Right. But exercise. The way we want to. Exercise. Uh, sleep. Yeah. Hydration. Nutrition. Right. Meditation. Laughter. Yes. Okay. Uh, stretching. Mm, these ouch. things. These are things that would fill. Imagine you have a bucket. Yeah. Now imagine that bucket has a spigot. Yeah. On it. 
that's the output of the bucket. Well, you have what, the input, yeah. but you also have the output, things that drain from oh, your yeah. bucket, like lifting weights, yeah. exercise, running, uh, work, stress, school, yeah. relationship problems, mm. and any form of stress or anxiety. That's right. It's which, just going to drain. Which could be mitigated, right, if we would just keep yeah. filling the bucket. Exactly. But you can't. Have you ever heard the quote, when are you going to stop swatting at the flies mm-hmm. and go and patch the screen? There you go. But I can't because I'm swatting flies. Exactly. But now everything that's draining your bucket is not necessarily negative. No. You have exercise. Those are all good things, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, your job is even the stress can be, I'm needed. This is a big deal. But even a positive output is still an output. Sure. And so you've still got energy going out. And so these outputs are cumulative. They're going to add on to each other. And even a little leak is going to result in some sort of a significant water loss over time out of your bucket. Oh, tell me about it. (laughs) Tell me about it. So he realizes that stress is cumulative. I love this idea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And it's kind of like your cable bill. Yes. You started with really low rates. And three years later, you could put a kid through college. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, But he's a weightlifter, and he talks about how... He lifts heavy uh, weights three days per week, mm. and he wanted to be able to handle four days a week. Why? Oh, he, to, to increase his okay. strength and That's things like that. But he found out that every time he added an extra workout of heavy weights, he would be fine for a few weeks, but he would end up, end up exhausted sure. or slightly injured about a month into it. Every time he did There's it. the sign. So he realizes now he can't do... Four yeah. days of heavy lifting a week. You See, can only do the three. That's it. That's what – because I, when I do these big events, I don't change the rest of my week and my life. My life stays the same. Exactly. And then I add a big event. You're adding to the output oh, of your right. bucket. Oh, and you're that's not, it. And you're not adding to the, in, the input that's of your right. bucket. So one way uh, – options. You have two options if you want to keep your bucket full. Sleep. Well, refill your bucket on a regular basis. Yeah. Catch up on sleep. Make time for fun, laughter. Uh, eating enough to maintain an energy level, a good right. energy level, and making time for recovery. Right. Or you can let the stressors in your life accumulate, drain your bucket, and then when you hit empty, your body will force you to rest through the injury and possibly illness. So, so you call that a vacation sometimes, right? But it's not <laughs> a vacation. Some people do. If you're in a hospital, you're in a hospital. <laughs> That's not a break. But the idea is that recovery is not negotiable. Mm-mm. Your body is going to recover either by you recovering yeah. you know, in a good way, in an easy you know, station. Uh, right. um, planned out, planned, focused exactly. way. Or your body is just going to say, okay, you're done. Yeah. Time to recover. Beep. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it's not like that. I but, don't know. I mean, you know. hopefully it's not. Let's hope, let's hope not. Uh, you know who, who's been teaching this for years? Who's that? Mother Teresa. Really? Yeah. Mother Teresa said, to keep a lamp burning, you have to keep putting oil in it. Wow. Mother Teresa knows. It's not a zero. I mean, it doesn't just, you can't put oil in it once. If you're going to burn it, you got to keep putting oil in it. It's a cumulative process. Mm-hmm. She knows. She I, knows. I think she read the New Testament, didn't she? I think. I think some sort of a parable? Yeah. Okay. You have to lose your life to find it. There's another one. That's okay. paradoxical. It's moving. Uh, that's we, don't a have a par- we only have one doc in here, not a paradox. Actually, we have two. We have, we have well, less doc is spelled D-O-C-K. <laughs> <'Cause>, 
Then we do have then a we, pair of docs. Yeah, because I'm the do I'm the I'm the doc D O C, and you're the D O K. I used to have a pair of docs. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd walk around in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dockers. No, Doc Martens. Oh, Doc Martens. Wow, yeah. cute. Uh, good job. That, that to me, that's great. So, uh, did you all? Did you learn something, James? What do you need to? What do you need to fix? Because your spigot just keeps draining fluids. Well, especially at you, you've got school during the day, you've got work here. You got McConkey at right. night. You're kissing on that girl, McConkey. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what her name is. Malele. Are you getting enough sleep? That's the question. No, that's actually been a goal that I've established. Actually, a, this is the second week trying to get more sleep. I slept a ton cool. Sunday because I was sick. So did I, actually. <laughs> Were you sick? I did not feel well on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I was I was sick, so I had to stay home from church. Oh, I still went to church. God didn't like, and I only I had s- a headache though, and so I, I slept like a baby all day long. Um, well, so you and Malele still good? Oh yeah, still great. She's loving those knives, by the way. Is she? Yeah, she's ginsuing it up. Yeah, used them the other day. It was great. Did she make you something? We made a red curry together. It was fantastic. What would you use the knives for? Chopping up the vegetables. There you go. Yeah, it was great. Sounds romantic. Oh, it was. Nothing says romance more than stainless steel knives. <laughs> knives! <laughs> For the birds alls. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, guess who's in the house? Hadge. Hadge is here. Heather Ann Johnson, faculty member here at BYU for the last 12 years. She's going to come in and talk about kids and work. How do you get those darn kids to work? And should they have a job? Ooh, lots of great subjects with the queen, the queen of uh, parenting and successful families, Heather Ann Johnson. She'll be with us right next, up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're highlighting sticks, blue collar man. James has uh, been looking for songs that have to do with work. Because on the show today, we are redefining work, how you uh, turn your, what would be your work, into a great lesson, a great passion. Who better to do this than probably the hardest working BYU faculty member ever? (laughs) Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Hadge. Hadge. We're still with that one. We're still looking for Hadge. We're still uh, we're there. looking for a better name. It's okay. We'll get there. We'll get but there. But we don't want to push it because we want it to be kind of like we want it to be right. Right. Organic. Organic. We yeah. We don't want to force it. Like right. I mean, forcing Hadge. I'm not forcing it. It's, no. that, those are your that's your those are your initials. Right? Maybe as a Christmas gift. Maybe Ooh. we could get there by Christmas. Yeah, that's a goal. Yeah. Okay. okay that's a really, she's trying. Look, she's trying to motivate us. <laughs> Does she? Little does she know. You can't motivate the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> there's, We're highly nothing, there's nothing I can unmotivated, do. <laughs> not driven. But uh, for 12 years, uh, she's been an adjunct faculty member. My daughter happens to take her class and thinks of all the teachers in the history of BYU, she's the best ever. Well, thanks. And she's not just blowing smoke because my daughter doesn't blow smoke. Um, here's the deal. She's uh, uh, she's a, an expert on raising successful families. She also, if you go to her website, familyvolley.com, she, she's an author, self-published book, Family Fun Fridays, soon to be releasing Family Fun Monday through Thursday. Right. We're working on it. Right now, you can only have fun on Fridays, according <laughs> to her book. That's it. <laughs> only <laughs> one day a week. One million activities that families can do and not 
Only 10 will pull your hamstrings. Uh, good. We've narrowed them down. No, good. Well, yeah. good. Yeah. I would recommend don't use any of those. <laughs> we put them in a section yeah. for just those Hammies. who are physically fit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> those right. that aren't. That can handle it. So, okay, that was rude. <laughs> I guess that was a backhanded compliment. I don't know what that was. But it's it, okay. It's it, okay. It hurt. Hatch. It's okay. You've been married 13 years. Yes. Five kids, yes. four husbands. It's amazing <laughs> when you add them all up. Oh, that was low. <laughs> so low. When you add them up, it seems to work out great for you, Hatch. The, the one, just... one husband. One husband. It's great. Yeah. And kids. Kids. Five of them. Five of them. Okay, here's the deal. Okay. How do you get them to work? Because my kids play deaf. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. And you know they can hear because like when you throw something <laughs> – they respond. They hear it, right? Yeah. Or when you threaten, yeah. You when you yell, right? hey, right? Right. So <clears throat> there's a couple things. One, we don't want to keep repeating ourselves. No. Number one, right? So just take that out of the equation. We want to teach them that we ask once they need to respond. If they don't, there's consequences. Well, yeah, right? but see, that's the hard part because the consequences have to jive with reality. They can't just induce fear. Sure, sure. I mean, I guess they can, but you know, eventually they're not going to be afraid of you. Right, and that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. So. Let's start at the beginning, and that that's starting with our little kids. We want to start really young. The cuties. Right. So it's not deciding that we want to help our kids learn to work eventually or no. when they're old enough or when they can mow the lawn at 12, then we'll start teaching them a work ethic. No. It's immediately, right? Even a one-year-old can help do things. A three-year-old can help, you know, set the table. There are so many things that our See, children can do really that's young. that's it. And remember, too, when they're that little, they're excited. I mean, my three-year-old, she follows me around the house all day and begs to help. Does she really? Six-year-old, can I help you with dinner? Could I pick this up? Could I? Wow. They love to be involved. But well, maybe they they're not that. right. Are they, <laughs> maybe they've got issues. No, think about it. Your little kids love that too, but then Back they lose then, that. Yeah, then right? we don't make them do it right. because we always think, oh, it's just easier to do it ourselves. Right. And so we want to start when they're excited. Mm. Start little. Now, if, that, if your children are already older, that doesn't mean we quit on them, right? Right, no. But if we have the option right now, start when they're really young. Now, that said, we also want to be focusing on the why, which is intrinsic. We want to stop saying to our kids, once you clean your room, then you can go play, right? That sets it up that work is bad and other things are good. That's true. And we want to avoid that. Now, what happens is as parents, we tend to look back on how we were raised and we think about all the things we didn't like about work, right? Mm -hmm. And then we try to safeguard our kids from those things. Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, I had to weed every Saturday. I don't want my kids to have to weed the garden. Oh, that's so true. But we have an obligation as parents to teach our children to work. Right. That's, That's an obligation we have. We are to raise moral children who have a work ethic. Otherwise, society can't function. So true. My son in law, that is by far the greatest thing I've ever seen. He has a work ethic. Mm -hmm. And he's He's not afraid to just get in there and and work and hard work and yeah. it doesn't scare him. Oh no, he does it. He See, I it. like like I have really weak hammies, and he'll. <laughs> let, we were helping him fix their house, and they he'll carry garbage cans out that weigh a ton. Sure, like I wouldn't load the garbage can as high as he did. He's just used to working, right? But and, that's something you, they were taught. Well, and it used to be that we were defined by our work ethic, right? right? Think that's about right. our grandparents and our great grandparents. That was salvation. That's that right. work ethic. That's all. And you we've have. lost that. We've we've grown into this entitlement, this desire to get all we want without having to put forth any effort. We don't want to raise kids with that mentality. And we want to make sure our kids don't think of work as the opposite of play. And that's really easy. It's, to I do. love that. I, we're, that. We're always setting. We them do up that all that the way. time. Hmm? First fun, then we'll play. Right. So I mean, first work, then we'll have fun. Right. And it's 
So so how do you not do that? How do you not so, set them up that way? Well, we want them to see the intrinsic value of what they're doing, right? We want them to understand, and we do this through coaching them, through words and questions like we've talked about before. But a clean room makes us feel good, yeah. right? A clean kitchen counter allows us to then do art projects and color and make dinner together. We want them to notice and see those things. That's great. The only way it happens is by bringing it up and talking about it. It's the same way with school and working hard for grades. It's not so that they can get money, which we'll talk about allowances in a little bit. Or it's not for that, you know, $2 for an A or $1 for a B. It's because good grades make us feel good and safeguard us and set us up for a future, a future that looks like this. So we want to tune into that intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. And those are the words that need to come out of our mouth, not as soon as your room is clean, then you can go to your friend's house. Or when that's done, then, if then, if then. So true. And it's so easier. It seems like much easier to teach it young sure it is old it is and it's you know we're kidding ourselves if we think that once we're old enough to realize you know work can be hard no it's hard it's hard and can it be miserable someday sure yeah sure but if we can instill the right reasons in our children the best we can it allows them to have the strength and courage to work through the days that are hard and we can do that love it other things we have to do we have to make work fun Nobody likes it miserable, and there is no rule that says work has to be miserable. No. Why can't we make it fun, right? I know we have this thing we do right now whenever we have to clean something. I pick what I call mystery items, and so I look at the room, and I pick five mystery items or two, depending on how messy yeah. we've got a room in right. front of us. And I pick a couple things that are mysteries, and whoever picks those up gets to choose That's the next song idea. on the radio. That's or gets great. to you know, pick what our family will do that night or – I try to make sure that they're not based on a reward system like you get a treat, sure. but instead a celebration of a f- things that our family can do together. I'll tell you, when I say, okay, I've got my five mystery items, those kids, it's like, well, they let's start go. Because it's fun, yeah. right? Or if we need to fold socks, we ball them up and throw them f- through a mini basketball hoop into a into a basket. There you go. Silly, but it takes That's the work money. to a different place. My right? kids do that anyway, but – yeah. It it just then somebody loses an eye. Right. <laughs> and sometimes that happens, right? When we That's have right. fun. But Wear it en- eye protection. It engages them different. It teaches them about an attitude. It teaches mm-hmm. them that work has to be done. The socks have to be folded. The room's got to be cleaned up. Right. But we can do it with an attitude of of fun and excitement with some music and some playing and laughing or we can mope and moan. Yeah, Either totally. way the job has to be done. Something's right? going to give, Something's right? Something's got to give. Another thing, as parents, we tend to send our children off to work, like we ship them off. Yeah, there you go. Instead of working with Here's them. your lunch pill. Right. That's and right. And this hurts us in two ways. First, it really hurts us because who likes to be sent off to work? No. It's, yeah, it's banished. Not, it's exactly right. right. And oftentimes, they don't recognize that we might still be working in another room, but they don't see it that way. They see it as, why do we have to work and you don't That's have true. to? Yeah. They don't understand that. Yeah, you can't be like sitting on the couch, yeah, go no. do the dishes. <laughs> well, how would you feel even with your spouse if it was like, hey, could you go do these things while you watch them eat popcorn and watch your favorite right. movie? Oh. Not good, then right? It's fighting It's words. exactly right. And our children build up that intensity inside mm-hmm. of, why do I always get sent off and you this? That's right. They don't see that maybe I'm doing dishes or doing a million other things. They don't recognize that because they're children. So we want to work with them. That doesn't mean we do the work for them. I can go with our kids and simply sit in their bedroom. And just because I'm there 
they do much better at picking things up it's than true. when I when that's I right. banish them. Well, and even if it's only twenty minutes, right. It's worth it. Those that's twenty Absolutely. minutes well spent. Plus, we lose out on the opportunity to teach them. That's when we teach them how to actually put books in a bookshelf with the spines facing it, right. or by size, or how you hang up a you know a dress, or how you fold those you know clothes. That's when we teach them those things. It's also when we teach them skills that actually have nothing to do with cleaning, like sticking to the job That's until right. it's done. Focus. Or what focus right. looks like or what kindness and cooperation. These are vital opportunities for us as parents to work with our kids and teach through work. So, so we don't want to send them off. That's right. Now, here is our biggest, and we can end with this one as far as getting our kids to work. We can't talk bad about work. Oh, I know. See, that's huge. And that means scoffs, moans, groans. Yeah, I'm going to work. We, we cannot do that. Because if our kids, if my children hear me moan every time I have to do the dishes, even just a, oh, you guys, sorry, I got to do the dishes. I've just sent a message to them that dishes are lousy. Yeah. Which means they grow up thinking dishes are lousy. My mom didn't like them. And that's an automatic message. If we want our kids to work, we have to stop saying bad things. That's right. We have to. We've got to keep those to ourselves. Now, does that mean we don't think them? No. We're all human yeah. and we're normal. They're still dishes. Fake it, right? Yeah. Keep them. Keep it to yourself. The funny thing is if we'll fake it a little bit, all of a sudden it won't be so bad. It really won't. Because it works for us too, right? If I think about the intrinsic value, if I really think about how wonderful I feel when our kitchen is clean – Yeah. Those dishes aren't so bad, mm. right? And when I think about the service I'm providing my family, the dishes are actually okay. Well, and I, I well, I guess it's wrong, but I used to like dishes because no one was around. Sure, because sure. everyone leaves you alone. Sure, it's <laughs> like true. Like that's doing the dishes. If that's be your quiet. space, yeah, and you need that. But that's nice. It is, and maybe that's your time. Well, or we can <laughs> clean up together, and it all goes faster, and we're done in five minutes. And so you teach them those lessons about work too, right? That many hands make light work. I love it. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Making the family work is her game. <laughs> uh, we are going to come back more with Heather when we come back. She's going to talk about allowances and should kids have jobs? Oh. I mean, or is their job, you know, to get good grades? What's sure, the deal? Sure, I know. Tricky. Yeah. And I guess all these child labor stuff. <laughs> um, everything you've ever wanted to know about your kids and jobs. Up next with Heather Ann Johnson. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Heather Ann Johnson's joining us, a.k.a. Hadge. Uh, <laughs> Hadge, was that Madge? Wasn't it Madge uh, that no. would dunk her hands into the dishwashing soap? Madge. She did a dishwashing oh. soap uh, test. It could be. Yeah, look that up. Olive. Yeah, yeah Olive. Paul Olive. Was that the name of the thing? Paul Olive. Was that her name? Madge. Okay, we'll look. You're like Hatch. <laughs> You're like Madge. But not. But not. But not. No. With a huh. <laughs> Heather Ann Johnson's here, BYU professor. She is dedicated to making family life healthier, passionate about families. Uh, she's just telling me how she's, you know, going to get her climber to not climb. Yes. And I thought kicking the chair out from under him was quite violent. 
But if we're going to go a few different routes, but that's okay. I appreciate the feedback, the you suggestion. Bet. You know, it's just one idea. Yeah. Hey, uh, here's the question of all questions: Do you pay children? Do you give them an allowance, oh. or do you just say, "Hey, you're lucky to have food"? Sure, <laughs> sure. What do you do? And a roof, right? And a roof. So this gets this is tricky. This is it. I mean, there's but, camps on both sides. Yeah. So let's work through some of the things we understand, we know through research. Okay. Obviously, you're going to make the decision that's best for your family, but we do have some pretty hard and fast research that shows us allowances, for the most part, do more harm than good. Do they really? Like it creates what? An entitled child? It creates free money. Yes, all of the above. Wow. Right. So we'll say good. it again, allowances. <laughs> good, because you never paid your this kids. Is so great. Allowances usually do more harm than good. So let's talk about how okay. this works. Okay. Well, let's let's start here. We want to have a couple goals for our kids. When we think about allowances, what might be the underlying goals? Well, we want to teach a work ethic. Yeah, they want to learn to work. Right. And we want to teach money management. Yeah, and money exchange, that life is right. not free. There's this exchange. Right. And how it works and everything from saving to spending sure. and delayed gratification. Yeah. So the idea that tying that to chores, uh, I know I can hear it coming, is not good. That's not going to help our kids. Really? Because it just seems so natural. Here is why. It only helps our children, but even not tying to chores. An allowance in and of itself is only going to benefit our kids if there is heavy parental involvement. So you'd have to really micromanage. Not micromanage, teach. Okay. Involved. Involved. A nonstop involvement. Usually parents use an allowance and they give out the money with no teaching involved. Right. It's, hey, did you check those chores off the list? Yeah. Here's your five bucks for the weekend. Did you get go. an A? Here's your dollar. Right. So if, if we go back to our two goals, we didn't strengthen their work ethic with right. that allowance, even though it's tied to work. Mm-hmm. And we didn't teach them anything about managing money. We didn't teach them anything. Right. Right. And so we don't want to do that. Other research shows us a couple really interesting things. Research shows us, and this is 50 years, right? So it's yeah. not new. We've been looking at this, so this for a long is, time. Okay. Right, right? So, long, so this isn't a new thing. Right, because we've got to follow kids to adults and sure. see what they do with their right. money. Kids who receive a regular unconditional allowance, meaning you always get your money every week because you usually probably did your checklist type yeah. thing, tend to think less about money than kids who don't as they grow up. And in fact, the research suggest that those type of children grow up to be slackers. Really? Slackers. That's a pretty – Because money was easy. Right. That's a pretty strong word, right, to say. Slackers. Is that the technical term? That's, that's in quotes, right? In right quotes. out of the research. Slackers. Technical terms. Okay. So here's another really interesting finding, and we can see how this works, but kids who have to ask for money – so this would be the child who isn't giving an, given an allowance – but instead is expected to work around the home because they live there. Be helpful. Right, because we're a family and we keep up a home and we do things for one another. Children who then are expected to to contribute and then have to ask for money when they need it. So my friends are going out on Saturday. Dad, could I have $20 for the movie and ice cream after? Yeah. They are better with money when they grow up than those given that unconditional regular allowance. Oh, I can see that. Because oh, yeah. they you're have asking. to think about uh-huh. what they ask for. And you bring your change back right. and they're like, this is how we used it. It's exactly right. So they have to think through it and they have to think, okay, well, tonight I want to go to the movies, but I really want to ask my mom for that new shirt, which is more important, the movies or the shirt. Interesting, right? yeah. So they have to think those things through. So then the question is, what is kind of our answer here? Is there a right or wrong? 
Again, you have to do what's best for your family, but keep those goals in mind. Recognize that if you are going to go the allowance route, let it stand alone, free and clear of chores. Of chores and grades? And grades. Because see, to me, grades are the chore. Right. Grades are the chore. So we want to keep that Just free money. Aside. Mom and dad are going to give you 20 bucks to just be quiet. No. (laughs) (laughs) To be quiet. To stop talking to me for one week, you get $20. But only allow the allowance if you are going to be hands-on. That's right. If you're going to teach them about money, if you're going to teach them how to spend and how to save, if you're going to help them understand how to write a check and what a credit report looks Mm -hmm. like. I I mean, heaven forbid we show our teenagers what a real credit report looks like. Yeah. Imagine what that does for them when they get older and have to manage their own situation. Well, it's like a car. You don't just give a car either. I mean, you... We have exp- you have to be a, you have right. to pay attention. Right. We don't just say, teach. okay, you're 16 drive or okay, you're this age, here's some money. Mm. We've got to teach them. So if you are going to go the allowance route, let it be free and clear of chores and then make sure that it's going to be a very hands-on. So some other things with allowance that also help us understand why it could be good or bad. Research suggests that you start allowances about five or six. Really? Okay. Age five or six, yeah. right? Kindergarten is usually a good time. You want your children to understand the concept of money, meaning four quarters equals a dollar, right? right? We also want them, when they start dealing with money, to understand that it buys things, that we need it to get the things we want. Yeah. When you feel your child has a good understanding in those two categories, that's a time when you can start introducing money to them. That's cool. Other things people start to ask is, okay, if I want to introduce our children to money, and we don't even have to call it allowance. If we want to teach our children about money, right? Well, there's natural things. Right. Tooth fairy. Sure. Money. I mean, they're just mining teeth, right? right. They just <laughs> pull their teeth out, get an exchange. Get money for it, I right? Know. So just pull faster. But they're going to get teeth anyway, <laughs> and they're going to get money anyway. Right. So how much should we give them then? What do you think? <sighs> oh, I think they are child laborers. Okay. So I'm going for pennies on the dollar. Okay. I'm a tightwad, though. So, I would say, I don't know, by, by age, it's got to change sure, by age. Sure. $5, I mean, a dollar a month per year. Sure. You could do that, right? A dollar a month per year. Lots of times parents do 50 cents or a dollar per year, just okay. like you said. And then they either do per week or per month. Mm. So if you had a four-year-old, that would be... Four dollars a, a month. week, or four. I'd probably go a month. Right, a month, four dollars a month, and I give them a buck a week. Right, right, and break it down like that. So you look at them. You can also gauge their needs and their wants. We do want to make sure, though, anytime we're teaching our children with money, we don't want to give them enough to have everything they need. True, or want. I should right. say want. Yeah. So that's kind of the precursor there. Think about well, if I give them this, does that allow them to purchase everything they want? Yeah. If it does, it's too much. It seems like this is where you should be using coins right. and dollars, not credit cards. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it seems like to me if a four-year-old's pulling out a credit right. card. We have a problem. We've got a bigger problem. Right. We've got a really big money. problem. And, you know, we talk about these as guidelines with allowance, but I'd love to take that word completely out of this yeah. and recognize that there's time to teach our children work ethic and there's time to teach our children about finances. It's two things. And two things. And that's what we're doing. Not an allowance, but, like but teaching. We're teaching our kids about money. Start teaching them about five or six and be sure that you're not enabling them with more than they need. But to have the money divorced from the work ethic and the importance of work seems like you're going to teach your child that work just matters. Right. Regardless of money. In and of itself. Because you won't get your yard done just with money. Right. Always. Well, and also when I do the dishes tonight, no one's going to pay me. Wouldn't that be Oh, you don't get paid? Do you? You get paid for mowing the lawn? No, but my wife... 
seems to get paid. Does she? She yes. has a little cash see, register. <laughs> see, yeah. Yeah. I, I should talk to her and see how you've worked that yeah, out because I, I don't, know I, don't I, get, I don't get paid for the you know laundry that it's I sold today. That's right. So if we want to tie money to work, make it be work that is excess, mm-hmm. not what we need to live and function as a family. If they want to fulfill other things that are outside that scope, that's when you could say, okay, you're now mowing the neighbor's lawn. Okay. Bingo. There right? you go. Now, if it's service, don't pay them for it. But right. if, if they're going out to, to be um, kind of that e-commerce, yeah. by all means, right? I like that. Or if they're seeking out ways to make money because that's an interest they have, yeah. then let them go seek that out and start those you know lawn mowing businesses or selling that lemonade. But as far as paying them because they made their bed or hung up their towel or put their laundry right. in their dirty clothes- That never made sense to me. That doesn't make sense. And the research shows us that that's okay. going to do more harm yeah, than Yeah. They'll become slackers. Right. So other other things we want to do is if we're going to give them money and teach them about it, there does need to be some guidelines. We want to set those guidelines. For example, 30% for spending, anything you, you want. Yeah. 30% immediately to saving. Yeah. So we teach them what that looks like. And usually it's good to have them put even another 30% towards a delayed gratification item, whether it's a video game yeah. or a new phone or a tree. They're going to yeah, get something. it before they die, right? What about before the, college. I have this thing that drives my kids crazy. I call the tax man. Oh, which is it? Which is you? And it, it was me. <laughs> we do it at Halloween when they bring their candy. I always have to take a surplus, a sure, tax. Sure, there's a candy tax. There's a candy tax right. that you have to pay the tax man. Yours is Snickers. A Snickers, isn't it? Yes, Snickers. Yeah. Snickers. Baby Ruth. Oh, see, that used to be my favorite yeah, see, until I lost three teeth. That's my tax. Um, but see, that's the tax. So I guess we don't want to tax them. No, we don't. Okay. But understand the point that you're making is really powerful. If we want them to understand money, yeah. There are taxes on money. That's so right. So if that's something you want to teach them, because remember, it's not an allowance. It's it's financial education. Then impose that tax, not because you want candy or because you right. want a new car, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, but maybe. for the right reasons to teach them. And however that looks in your family, structure that. We have to pay taxes. Yeah. So Part if, of life. So if they're earning money for those things, then that's something you could teach them. Also, don't forget to throw in – for us, it's a 10 percent that's some sort of charity or some sort of right. giving. So they recognize that. Whether it's you know denominational for your church or it's simply the Boys and Girls Club because they found – look at their interest yeah. and say, we need to take 10 percent and give back in some fashion. And it seems like, too, make some of their work charitable. Like make charity a part of every workday. Absolutely. Absolutely in what you're doing. We can also teach kids about natural consequences and natural rewards. Mm. And so instead of saying you did this and now you get money, it's, you know what, how does that clean room again make you feel? Or how, you know, good grades get us into college. Yeah, we what does that ourselves. feel like to know you got such great right. grades? Right, totally different than you got an A, here's $2. Ugh. That's not going to help us, right? That's not going to help with the work ethic. Yeah. It's not going to help with the financial education. We, I want you to come stay at our house. <laughs> oh, it's so much easier said than done. I know, but Isn't it? it's got to be easier for you to say it <laughs> than for me to say send it. Send them to class. I have, send, I've already have, sent one of my kids to your go. class. We'll so one by one. Do. Will you be around in the next 20 years? I hope to. Because I've got plenty of kids. 20 years. Her name is Heather Ann Johnson. If you go to the website familyvolley.com, you can see a bunch of her, her, her wonderful blog entries. But you can also go check out her book. Her book, Family Fun Fridays. She self-published it, but she's the bomb. She's legit, folks. Uh, guidelines on now allowance. I know that allowance. I don't want to make my kids a slacker. You now don't. I realize 
I've ruined them. You have no, you haven't. Oh no, it's over. <laughs> it's over. There's always hope. Is there hope? There's always, always. There's hope. hope if they go to your class. Always hope. Heather, you're gonna stick around with us. Yep. We want to talk about the the things you learn from your hardest jobs. Ooh. Okay. Lessons learned from okay. the most difficult jobs. We're gonna take a break, my friends. Come back. Wrap up the show on the work. You know, reframing what that means. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we have been talking about jobs, work, and how, you know, it doesn't have to be a death sentence. It's life. It's just life. So we're redefining work. And we thought uh, we would go through the jobs that we had. Maddie Richard is going to lead us on this and share some of our typical high school jobs, what we learned, what we loved. Yeah, yeah. So I just have a list first of some of the, the classic High school jobs and what you can learn from them, you know, what the number one lesson is. And then we're going to go around and I want you guys to tell about your weirdest or funniest or craziest job and what that maybe taught you. Okay. Um, So number one, the classic, waiting tables. I know dozens of my friends in high school were waiting tables or working in fast food or something like that when we were in high school. And I think the number one lesson you can learn from that is grace under pressure. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's when a great thing. Demand, yeah. I mean, they're hungry, so yeah. they're angry. They're coming at you. Where's my food? I need. I ordered this, not this. And I think the biggest lesson that you can learn from that is how to be kind and courteous and yeah. graceful to them. My sister did. When they're it. yelling at you. She's the best, most courteous. To I, every time we go out to dinner and she sees or talks to our server or waitress, she's like, she's best friends with her. And then tips are twenty five percent. Yeah, I yeah. So I don't mean, go with my sister. <laughs> <laughs> she took care of the tip though. Well, you'd think so. <laughs> she That's makes not how yeah. it goes. you tip. So whenever 25%. she tips twenty five percent, I tip fifteen percent. <laughs> Keep it at twenty. That's a great one. No, yeah, it's important. I think to remember that. Um, the next one is being a cashier. I mean, I think everyone was either a cashier at a store or an amusement park or something <laughs> like that. And I think the thing I learned most from being when I was a cashier is. Always pays to be kind. Oh, yeah. When I had someone come up to me and yelling at me about their coupon not being working, and that's, I was so unlikely to help them out in any way. But when I had someone so nice, oh, I understand. That's okay. I would say, you know what? Let me see what else I can do for you. And I would give them a little sweet deal because they were so nice yeah, to me. Yeah, there you go. So it always, always, always pays to be kind to the people serving you. That's such a good idea. All right, lifeguarding. And I wasn't a lifeguard. I know Alyssa wasn't a lifeguard. Was oh, a lifeguard. Sean was a lifeguard. Oh, Sean was too. Look at that. Um, but I worked at a water park, and I think the lifeguards there really learned that attention to detail yes, is like, key. Yeah, like, like life and death. Yes. Yeah. Well, Blue not lips. just sure. Not just even life and not death, breathing. but seeing yeah. um, kids kind of messing around, <laughs> you know, running, kids running, kids playing with squirt guns or mm-hmm. squirting a kid too much. Yeah. That's the lifeguard's responsibility to, you know, blow the whistle and say, hey, let's not do that. Hey, so those can somebody little pull details. that kid up <laughs> from underwater? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. Stuff like that. You know? But attention, attention to, to those de- details really is good. important. Yeah. So babysitting. Uh, Every girl babysat. Yeah. I am sure of it. Even Sean I used did. To be, I, 
Sean, Sean's not a girl. No, he's not. I'm saying most, the most girls do. guys I babysat. Do. Sure. Yeah. Well, until the indictment. Until, the, yeah. <laughs> until that one time. Until the bad Oh, goodness. The biggest thing I learned from babysitting, though, is to teach and learn manners. Mm. It was never fun to babysit entitled kids. Oh, yeah. To babysit kids who, give me my pizza. Give me this. No, we're not doing this. But kids who were polite. Oh, were a dream to babysit. Even when they were having a rough time, they'd say, you know, oh, I'm sorry. And so much better to babysit kids who have manners. So I think it's a good thing to know that that taught me that I want to teach my kids manners and I want to be the person who's easy to work with because I say please. I can hardly wait to see your kids. Oh, gee, thanks, Cute little redheads. (laughs) They're going to be great. Ginger snaps. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, so grounds crew jobs, you know, oh, I the, had that. the lawn, I, Golf I did course. that when I was at an amuse- the amusement park too, at the water park, I mowed lawns for a year. Uh, the thing I learned most from that is that sometimes the jobs that you work the hardest mm-hmm. are the most fun. Oh yeah. I was exhausted after oh, yeah. mowing lawns. I mean, I'm five two. Well, yeah, but you, I mean, but you, you I had to push taller. a big lawn. I know I do. <laughs> Thanks. Um, having to push a big lawnmower around, I yep. would get exhausted. But that job, huge. You know what so I learned? So much doing fun. that. Hmm. Always, always check under a pine tree before you <laughs> shove a mower under there. Apparently, it only, it only took you one time to uh-huh. learn that. Apparently, I it. found a nest of like possum Hornets or something. Or, oh, wow. possum! I didn't even. Well, know I didn't those. find it. My lawnmower. Did. <laughs> Perfect. That's messy. You know, messy. Don't even want always wanna, check me, under we, the tree. I don't know if we should go there, but you anyway, know that's great. Thanks. A good Thanks for that. You bet. Um, piano lessons or a teaching job oh, of some sort. My daughter makes coin right now. Yeah, teaching you've talked piano. about how Sarah teaches. It's piano. crazy. So from that, she I've learned. Me. It's a good gig. <laughs> I've learned from that that practice really does make perfect, and not just. For the students, but you have to practice being a good teacher. My mom taught piano lessons ever since I can remember in our in our house. So she taught piano lessons, and I remember her going over what she was going to teach and practicing how she was going to teach the piano lessons mm-hmm. before that would even happen. So practice makes perfect, even not just in the skill you're learning, right. but in the teaching of the skill. Oh, and then you get my daughter learned it completely differently when once she started teaching it. And she now has yeah. 50 students. Wow, that's amazing. Learn from the experience. But she started when she was 14, I think, 13. Wow, that's so – that's a great age to start, I feel like, getting totally. that practice built up from when you're, when you're in. good. The last one I have is management. I was in the office management um, at the water park, and I learned that you have to be fun but firm mm. when you're working. Sounds because good. it doesn't pay to be the one that's, oh, well, yeah. anything goes Can't with her. You can – kind of slide under the radar it's fine but it's not ever good to be the mean yeah. dragon boss no. like you matt <laughs> uh anyway Hatch, um that was really good up to, i don't up know what it was up, up until that last part. That last part just kind of had a lot of bite but heather i want to know what what your most exciting most crazy job that you learned the most from was well aside from being a mom I guess it's not a There's job. There's probably a million lessons. If, it's oh, an I a learning curve. It's a, it's a learning curve for sure. You know, I had a job. I came out to school and I came back after my freshman year and I worked at a place called the Wine and Cheese Board. So I guess the funniest part was 
I spent my mornings making coffees for people, and I don't, don't drink, drink coffee, nor have I ever tasted it. But you wine. And I, I, I don't wine. Oh, I meant, I meant. <laughs> and yeah. I would approve, speaking of wines, the, the wine man would come in and he'd have, you know, all the selections of what we wanted to stock. And I would make those decisions. Would never, you really? Never tasted, never anything. So it was pretty funny that I was the one making it the coffee seems, and the cappuccinos yeah. and the, you know. And choosing the wines, even though I they just means you're a great no learner. clue what they yeah they great taste, taste like, but from that job, you know, I remember my dad always working this way and teaching me these things. But it was the first time I got to really enact it, and I learned that it was so important to give the praise and the appreciation to everyone behind the scenes. There you go. Uh, part of working there was catering. And so we would do these huge catering events. And, you know, the woman who owned the company, all those front people always got the praise and attention. Yeah. But the people who really made that function, who made the restaurant anything function, were the dishwashers yep. and those backstage cooks. That's who, they're the, they're that's the real who really deal. did it. And I just, you know, my dad, <laughs> he worked in hospitals and he would always tell me, Heather, hospitals function because of the housekeeping and the nurses. That's what makes a good hospital. See, that? And I got to see it. It was so that's cool. Right. And it, those were the people who needed the appreciation and the attention because – But see, that's, that's it. And Look, that's – I learned that. And I was so – I'm so appreciative for that because I got to learn it first. Well, and that's what makes you such a great teacher, coach, extraordinary. Those those people behind the scenes, they, they need more credit than they get. Uh, just don't have much time. But my favorite job ever was milking goats. Oh, wow. I was a substitute goat milker. Sure. Substitute. Uh-huh. I, I the, only did it. The regular was the regular guy on would go on trip, and then okay. he'd say, "If you want to milk the goats, sure. you can milk them, and I'll pay you to milk them." And then I, that's what, how I learned to deal with stubborn people, <laughs> like Maddie. But you can you can learn anything from all of your jobs. So and that's for the point. It's just making Absolutely. sure that you're learning something. That's it. Learn, learn, learn. Hey, great quote. Uh, getting knocked down in life is a given. Getting up and moving forward, it's a choice. Zig Ziglar said that. Tomorrow, my friends, we're going to have a best of show. Uh, you know, you're going to learn the you're going to learn from one of the best shows we've ever done. And then Wednesday, we'll be back with a brand new show. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for joining us. Hope to talk with you again tomorrow. <laughs>